This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our Advent sermon series, Make Straight the Way. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. O Son of God, we wait for Thee, we long for Thine appearing. Today I will be in the wilderness. Last week we were in Egypt. Today we will be in the wilderness a little bit with Egypt and very briefly touch on a couple of things. Even as we read today from the psalm, it is reflecting back on the wilderness journeys. So our text this morning before us, if you've got your Bibles, or if not, there's one under the, the seat. Please grab that or your phone and we will be in Psalm 77 before we take a quick journey through Exodus. So Psalm 77. My voice rises to God, and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remembered God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh or groan, then my spirit grows faint. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I now can't speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor, his grace again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promises come to an end? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or has he in anger withdrawn all his compassion? Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I shall remember the deeds, the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders. I will meditate on your work. I will muse on your deeds. The way of God is holy. For what God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among your people. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and were in anguish. The deeps trembled. The clouds poured forth their water. The skies gave forth a sound. Arrows, lightning, flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was like in the whirlwind. And the lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. For your way was in the sea. And your paths in and through the mighty waters. And your footprints were not known or seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are a redeemed people waiting your return. And this morning as we look back into a journey through a wilderness, we, we confess that we too are in a wilderness where we long for you to come and make all things right. We praise you for your works of old and the deeds that are known and that we can surely remember with great confidence and hope for that coming. Father, this morning, bless this time through your spirit as we hear of your people 
searching for your presence. Lost in a wilderness, in the name of Christ, amen. So this morning I, I was overwhelmed by the prayer that, that Sydney spoke, and so I asked Chris, could you just put that back up? Because the Holy Spirit orchestrates at times exactly where we're going to be, and I had not seen this prayer this morning. But, Lord, we, we look with hope for the day when there is no more grief, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more death. When you return, we are in this time of waiting. There will be no more sickness, weakness, no anxiety, no failing strength. But we will be made complete and we will see you. At the longing of our being is this need to see God. This need to, be, to, to know him more intimately than we do now. And we will see this today. In the people of Israel as they travel. We will see you and our souls will overflow with joy, worship, and blessings. We long for a return when all things will be made right. And so when we hear this psalm today, and obviously something is tormenting the psalmist, and we will return there at the end of our time together, there's something that's going to try to make it right, but I'm going to be honest, I'm going to spoil this for you. Psalm 77 really doesn't end with a resolution of his distress. It ends with him being able to pick himself up and go forward, longing for what we just prayed for and Sidney prayed over us for. So we go back in time today. We heard last week that Israel was in Egypt. Having gone down, Joseph had been sold there, and then a great famine occurs, and at least 70 people go from the family leaving. The 11 brothers go, and we know that story when Joseph reunites with them in Egypt. And what we see is that Exodus begins to tie intimately into the, the book of Genesis there. It begins to tie and do so in many ways that sometimes we don't notice. It, it does so in, in a way that really, I think, denotes the need for God's presence. And so if you'll turn there, we are just going to look quickly at the end of Genesis, Genesis 50, just before it jumps into the book of Exodus. We hear these words and one verb that becomes reverberated through several passages in Exodus, and it's this Hebrew verb that means to visit or to care for or to actually to, to take notice and to watch. And we see this in the 24th verse of chapter 50 of Genesis, when Joseph is, is about to pass away and knows that they are still in the land of Egypt, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely, and my text says take care of, the Hebrew verb there is pakah, it means to watch over. In essence, it means he is with you. That promise had been given by Israel just two chapters earlier to Joseph that God will be with you as he's been with Abraham, Isaac, and his self. This, this yearning, this need of presence will echo through the book of Exodus and beyond. That God will surely take care of you then begins to show up at the, at the bush when Moses meets and encounters God in the burning bush. The same language is used. Who shall I tell him has sent me? And God tells Moses, tell them I am sent you. And that I have taken notice of them. In other words, I haven't left you. And why would we think or they think that God had left them? 
Because Exodus 12.40 tells us that they had been in Egypt 430 years. Many of those years in abject slavery, hardship. When circumstances seem to indicate that God is absent. And this presence begins to show up so much that even in chapter 13, when the exodus occurs, this very verse appears that they take Joseph's bones with them back to the land because God is taking care of them, watching over them. So if this presence becomes so important and pushing into it, and we begin to see that this stirs the story of exodus, that if we look at then the story of Exodus by just sheer numbers, we begin to see them leaving Egypt. And Brooks led us right there that the first really 13 to 15 chapters, we are still in Exodus or we are on the run from the Egyptians in the book of Exodus. And then around 1522, it changes to just a journey across the Red Sea And to the mountain called Sinai, or Horeb, where God will come and give the law. So chapters 19 through 24 give us a setting at Sinai, where the law is given, a covenant is ratified, and the people see God on the mountain. They see Him on the mountain, they hear His law, and at the end of that period, chapter 24, 70 elders actually go up with Moses and dine with God, in the presence of God, and see some manifestation that our text says are His feet. Can you imagine catching just a glimpse in chapter 24? Chapter 25 through 40 will be all about the building and construction of the tabernacle. And and class, what is the tabernacle all about? but God's dwelling presence among His people. The bulk of Exodus sits there. Numbers opens, and the people are still at Sinai. They've been there almost a year when a census is taken. There are 600,000 fighting men, men of age of 20 years old. So most scholars say that if we just take the numbers and do a little math on children and women that are with them, there may be two million people there in the desert at Sinai. And they will be led from there to chapter 13 and 14, again, fairly quickly, within a year of leaving Egypt in the Passover, to a place called Kadesh, where they are going to enter the land God has promised a redeemed people who have gone through the Red Sea that they will enter rest in the land. But they're not there yet. But they come to the border of it and they become fearful of the people who are in it. And again, circumstances betray the presence of God. Is He with us? Often stress distress and circumstances that are faced mar our faith. And they are rejected from the land. And and the next time period that we can really grasp is in Deuteronomy 1, verses 2 and 3, when we find out that it's an 11-day journey 
from the mountain of Sinai to Kadesh, where they should have entered the land. Eleven days. But the next verse says they were in the wilderness wandering for 38 years. Because they failed to see that God was with them and would lead them into the land. And fear overtook them. And they said, we won't go there. In fact, the refrain becomes in the wilderness, let's go back to Egypt. At least we had food and water. The gravity of God's presence is everywhere through this story. And so I want to just skip through two incidents where this becomes really paramount. And the first will be in Exodus 17. Exodus 17, just the first seven verses. They have come out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, began their journey to Sinai, and we can see the map where this occurs. They are journeying to the south. They have crossed the the Red Sea and come down this edge here. They will later, as I just said in Numbers, move to Kadesh, and then because of their disobedience, wander in this area for 38 years. Wandering. Wanting. A tangible manifestation of God. And yet all the while being led by the cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Where even juxtaposed against what I'm fixing to read in 17. In 16 there is a manifestation of the glory of God in the cloud. They see some representation. All the people who are complaining because they've had no, no sweet water or no quail or no bread. It's all been provided by chapters 15 and 16. They still need more. And they are about to stone Moses until the glory of God appears in the cloud in 16. Don't you think that's enough evidence to keep walking forward? 17 opens. Then all the congregation, as they come to Rephidim, they camped there. And there was no water for the people to drink. Now, no water. He's made water sweet before, but now there is no water. And if you look at a picture of where this place looks like, it is nothing but dust and rock. And there is no water. So there's panic now among the camp in verse 1. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses, saying, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me, and why do you test the Lord? In their testing the Lord, they seek a tangible manifestation that is his presence. They want to know for sure, though the cloud is there the entire time, they want to see him. But the people thirsted there in verse 3 for water, and so they continue to grumble against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock over thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do? In just a little while they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of the elders Take in your hand that staff in which you stretched out and struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock, and you, when you strike the water, strike the rock, water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And I have to ask, where is God? I will stand before you. 
what will happen at Rephidim is Moses will move to a rock and strike it with his staff and water will flow while God, unseen, stands before the panim in the Hebrew, before his face, with him. He is with him, though he is unseen. He is there. And a manifestation of his work and his deeds flows from the rock. They are able to drink. And yet the pressing question in verse 7, they name the place Massah and Meribah, testing and striving with the Lord. Because they said, is the Lord among us or not? Is he in our midst? That is the pressing question that a people in the wilderness continuously ask. That is the question we need answered and one we wait on when we ponder the coming. There have been many times in my life, mostly I will say on missions, when I fall to my knees literally and say, come Lord, quickly. Because there's nothing I can do to solve this problem. It will take you coming back to the earth. In fact, here at Rafidim, rock is in that place is so full of just dirt and rock that, that what we see there is a glimpse of perhaps what the prophet Isaiah will say, that the Lord will turn the desert back to a place like Eden someday. They are in a place that is marred by, by really the fall. And it's a place of loneliness and desperation. And I can't help but have great empathy for these people. Because when they get to Kadesh and cannot move further in the land, God says that the entire generation will perish in the wilderness on these wanderings. They will lose up to 150 people a day, if you do the math, before they come back to the plains of Moab and peer into the promised land. 150 people a day are being buried. Is he with us? Is the Lord among us? It seems like things go well after they make this covenant until Moses once again is absent. So again, I have great empathy. They are alone again at a hard, tough place. And this occurs at our next view of Exodus that occurs in chapter 33. What has occurred in chapter 32 is Moses is gone for 40 days speaking with God. And in that brief period, 40 days, the people have Aaron make a calf, an idol. Something that is a manifest representation of the presence of God that they can touch and hold on to. They needed that, that reminder. They needed it. And they yearned. Though he's there in a burning cloud on the mountain, they, they want him there in the midst of them. And God reacts in 32.10 saying, maybe I will annihilate them all. Moses intercedes. One man intercedes for the many. And God relents. God relents and will allow them to continue to be his people. 
but the pressing issue of presence doesn't change such that when we open in 33, 1 through 6, that is what the entire piece of text is about. Thus the Lord spoke to Moses, Go ahead and depart from here, you and the people that you brought up from the land of Egypt, and go to the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it, and I will send an angel of the Lord before you. He is not going, if you notice. The Lord will send a messenger ahead of them. Go on, verse 3, up to the land, but I will not go in your midst because you are an obstinate, stubborn people. And if I was in your midst, I would destroy you on the way. Holiness next to sin can exist. So in a protective mode, the grace of God says, I can't be in your midst. Moses will make the one man, will make the intercession again for the many. For when the people heard this, they, they went into mourning, and some of them took all their, their ornaments off. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to the sons of, of Israel, You are an obstinate, stubborn people. Should I go up in the middle of you for one moment, I, I would destroy you. Now, therefore, take off all your ornaments, that I may know what I will do with you. And so immediately they take off everything and go to a, a position of mourning. Moses then goes and speaks to God in verse 11 face to face without any intermediary. He's there. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not shown me whom you will send with me. What is Moses after? Moses is after God's presence to be with them. And he's going to be bold enough to make this prayer. You have said, I have known you by name, and you have found favor or grace in my sight. So I pray to you, Moses prays, if I have truly found favor in your sight, then let me know your ways. Let me know you. Let me know you. That I may know you and that I may find more grace in your sight. Then consider this too, that these, down the mountain, these are your people. And God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Quick note, that you is in the singular. I will go with you, Moses. I will give you rest. So what does Moses, the intercessor, do on behalf of the people? He presses in deeper. In verse 15, if your presence doesn't go with us, in the plural, with us, then don't lead us up from here. For how can this be known that I have found favor in your sight? Is it not known by you going with us? Isn't your grace manifested by the fact that you go with us? And that we then may be distinguished from all other people who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing for which you have spoken. For I have known you by name. Moses intercedes for a sinful people, a people who are clutching idolatry just for a manifestation of God, just to ease their distress, just to, just to get past the next moment of, of physical needs. And Moses intercedes for a God to be present with his people, a holy God who has just said in the first six verses, I can't dwell with you because I am too holy. But because of an intercessor, 
He will be with his people. It is so hard for me right now to, not to jump into the New Testament. We have typology of us awaiting on one who will come and make this right. That we can lean into. That, that when we are on that, that grace on which Moses is standing, we too can say the next word, the next prayer with Moses. And what is his third prayer here in this chapter? Show me your glory. Show me that, that snippet that I saw in chapter 16. What, what I will see at the, at, the, at the mountain in 24, your feet. Just show me your glory. And almighty, holy God says, come up. I will show you something of me. Notice he changes from glory to his goodness. I will show you my goodness. And as that passes by, I will shield you from the rest of me. For to see all of me would mean you surely would perish. The grace of God to encompass this man physically. One who is yearning for a physical touch from God. Has it. Such that in 34, 6, and 7, words that will reverberate through the rest of the biblical story are revealed about the goodness of who God is tangibly. The Lord passed by Moses in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, my kessid love for you my covenant loving kindness that never ends the mercies and limitations that are new every morning pass before Moses and truth these are the goodness of God who keeps that loving kindness for thousand who forgives the iniquity and transgressions of sin and yet is just and in that justice Judgment does have a forensic end. The guilty will by no means go unpunished also. This is the goodness of God found on the mountain where the people needed something tangible to hold on to. Yearning for Him in such a way. Move with me quickly back to Psalm 77. Psalm 77 opens with an, an incredible, distressing word. In fact, it does so. And most texts insert a word. The true text says, my voice to God, twice. My voice to God. In other words, in other words his speech is shattered. My voice to God, I raise out. My voice to God, and he will hear me. He, he is assured that, that he is being heard. But, but circumstances have marred his faith 
and tainted his thoughts on the presence of God. So much so that his mind, the, the cognitive distortions begin to take over in the next four verses. Where he, he repeatedly says, I've remembered, I thought, I am disturbed, I groan, my spirit groans. And what is it? It's all these inward thoughts without clarity. Until verse 10. A hinge in this psalm. Where he has just questioned those very traits of God that Moses discovered on the mountain. Will his loving kindness cease? Has his grace come to an end? Is his promises, will he not allow us... Rest that he promised. All of these thoughts go through his head. But then he remembers. And what does he remember? Notice in 11 and 12, 13 and 14 and 15, the speech now becomes direct address. You are holy. You, O God, works wonders. You, by your power, redeemed your people. He turns to a concrete evidence of God's work in salvation's history. Catch this. He moves from his own thoughts and circumstances to the concrete evidence of God's work in salvation's history. It is difficult, again, for me not to jump into the New Testament. He sees that. He remembers that. And it gives him almost a militant stance where he was in retreat. He has dug in. And now he remembers what God has done. But brothers and sisters, the psalm admits there at the end in 19, you led your people like a flock, but your footsteps were not seen. Where is God? Where is God? He's with you. He is leading you. Look for the evidence and await His coming. We move into a time of communion where we will break the bread and dip it in the cup. Again, a symbol, a tangible reminder of the work of God in salvation's history. So much so that this morning... I just want to read 1 Corinthians 11 as we prepare. We will have stations left and right and a self-serve in the back. And this is how Paul gives this sacrament to the church. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given th thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper and said, This is a cup of the new covenant, which is my, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And brothers and sisters, hear this for Advent. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We're in a season of waiting. As you come forward, I would ask that you pray over that. Let the waiting in your heart remember the concrete evidence of God's work in salvation for you. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for a, a very quick journey through a 40-year period in the wilderness. Father, forgive us for testing where we seek the physical and ignore the mountain of evidence of your presence and working through our salvation. Bring us forward in this moment of reflection, understanding you are coming back. And we wait. In the name of the risen Christ, we wait. Amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our Advent sermon series, Make Straight the Way. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Oh, Son of God, we wait for Thee, we long for Thine appeal.